0: following message was given by Dan Leary on Sunday, January 7th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org. Good morning, Redemption Hill. My name is Dan. Welcome to uh, the first Sunday of 2024. Um, Before we get started, I wanted to make a quick plug for the Seeing Jesus Together training uh, next Sunday at 6 and that's going to be led by Matt Hartman and it actually goes really well with uh, what we're going to be talking about today, thank you um, as we look at God's word and how to engage with it this year. Um, so like I said my name's Dan and I'm glad that you're with us uh, I don't know why you guys have decided to join today, it's, it's Amazing to see so many people here. Um, but maybe you're a longtime member. Maybe you're looking into uh, Christianity. Or maybe this is your New Year's resolution. But welcome. Um, no matter where you're coming from today, I'm glad you're here. And I invite you to join me as we walk down the path together. And I say walk down the path to, to, uh, together because today I'm going to use this sermon, I'm going to outline it like a hike. Um, and if you've been with us recently, you may have heard Pastor Tim talk about experiences hiking, and what he believes to be the stupidity of hiking. Uh, and while I appreciate his perspective, I don't share his opinion. Uh, I enjoy not just hiking, but backpacking. And backpacking's a little different. It's where you take the uh, take everything you have and you put it into a back and you uh, into your backpack and you walk into the woods. Um, and I love it, because I like getting away with friends. Um, I love getting away. And, I, and usually, at some point, there's something I'm going to see. There's some view, that, that, that some beautiful view of creation. Um, and my favorite views are usually standing at, on, on cliffs and just looking out. Um, and what I appreciate is that as, as you're backpacking, you're hiking, and you walk, and you walk to the peak, you begin to see a bit more sky. And the trail begins to open up as the trees thin out. And it may have been hard up until that point, but now there's anticipation about what's to come. And then you see it. You're looking over the valleys at mountains across the way with birds soaring below you and the blue sky above or the stars in the sky that just seem to cover it all. And you've come to your destination and you can rest and be satisfied. Yeah, so being in Virginia, I enjoy hiking on the Appalachian Trail or the A.T., um, and that AT is a popular trail that runs from Georgia to Maine and is 2200 miles long and uh, It's marked by these white blazes on trees or posts, so you know the way to go um, And you can do it in sections or you can do it all at once which takes about six months um, I've done several sections in uh, Virginia as well as in Georgia uh, But I didn't start off knowing what to do in fact uh, the first time I was invited backpacking, I went with another friend who was about my same age and a man who knew what he was doing. He was a little older than us. He was attending the uh, w- We met him at the church we were attending at the time. His name was Tom. Uh, now Tom knew what he was doing and he had all the right gear and he plotted out the way for us along this section of the AT. I was in my early 20s. I thought I understood what backpacking was but I really had only ever been day hiking with a pack. So what I quickly learned was that I had no idea what I was actually doing. My backpack ended up being about three times heavier than it should have been, as I brought unnecessary gear and gear that was too heavy. Now, Tom had warned me several times that I probably didn't need to bring such heavy items, but in my young pride and overconfidence in my own strength, I told Tom, I know what I'm doing that I was an experienced hiker and this pack would not be too heavy for me. And I was wrong. Uh, we were intending to do a loop that was about 35 to 40 miles over three days, seeing several beautiful scenic sights and views. And, um, but as we started the trail, the incline came, going uphill. We were going from the parking lot to the uh, ridgeline, which was about 1,500 feet of elevation in, that three, in the first three miles. And that backpack became heavy, and it became heavy fast. Um, I remember specifically at one point, uh, my friend and I, as we were literally on our hands and knees, clawing in the dirt to get up this one section uh, because we, uh, we were just so tired and exhausted. Um, and Tom, of course, he was pro- properly prepared, and he was actually an experienced hiker and seemed to be having no problem at all. Um, and the result was that this 35-mile loop we were looking at doing became uh, 15 miles of just kind of going up that side of the mountain seeing a couple things and then coming back down. Uh, so while I love the views and I love the experience it felt like a failure and it was embarrassing that this older guy had smoked me and my young friends. Uh, in saying all that and using the analogy of a hike. I intend to take us today through Psalm 119, verses 33 to 40. Uh, But before we take our first steps together, we should know what we're carrying. This morning, we've read some scripture uh, as we sang, and whether you're new to church or you've been coming since you were young, when we mention the Bible, something comes to mind for you. Maybe you thought, man, it's trustworthy. Maybe you thought it's fantasy. It's a book of rules. I don't really know anything about it. Maybe it can help me to be a better person. It's just another good book. Or I've tried to read it and I don't understand it. Maybe you think it is the Word of God. See, there's many preconceived ideas even within this room. So I want us to be honest about where we're starting from. Let's be honest and intentional. That We're all about about to begin our hike with some weight in our pack. The weight of our preconceived ideas about the Bible. So this might be a good time to take Tom's advice and to try to carry a light pack by emptying it of anything that's not going to be useful. I ask that we would walk today in the same manner as the psalmist with a light pack, honestly asking God to intercede as we explore his word. Let's pray for that now. Father, I ask you would show us the way today. Let us leave behind anything that is not of you. Lead us toward life in your word. Be with us and be before us, amen. All right, so now that we've checked the weight in our packs, let's check our attitudes. See, my pride and overconfidence in myself caused me to ha- have an experience that I hadn't, had not intended or wanted. When my trip began, I was full of excitement. I thought I was ready for the journey, but it became hard, fast. And I think this is how many of us started our journey of life. Ready for the excitement and the wonder of all that life can give us. But as we've explored, some of that shine has dulled. The once new with all its potential has become common. We have to seek new places and find, find new adventures to give ourselves what we crave. So as you consider the path you've been walking in this life, where does that outcome lead? My guess is that it will lead to more of what you've experienced so far. So thinking as we spend our evenings at the end of the day, where has that path led you? Vegging out in front of that TV show, binge watching, video games where we get to be a better, better version of ourselves. satisfaction or pride in what we have accomplished, enjoying comfort from what you've been able to provide for yourself, having a drink to celebrate, having a drink to relax, having a drink to forget, Maybe you feel like you've walked the religious road, and you're tired of falling short, as you've tried for the thousandth time, and it still doesn't seem like enough. Do you think you have everything you need, but you still know that there's something more? Do you crave something more? See, most of these end-of-the-day places that we end up aren't bad, but they're also not something to build a life upon. So if you're craving more, and I hope you are, because I am, then, let, then we're in good company, because we're in company of the psalmist here in 119. And this is the cry of the psalmist here, for more, to experience life from the one that's given it to us. But how do we get there? And let's search the scriptures together. Let's follow the path that's laid out before us in Psalm 119. If you um, have your Bibles, let's read together, and please stand in honor of reading God's word. We're going to read Psalm 119, verse 33 to 40. If you had grabbed a Bible on the way in, it's on page 512. It says, teach me, O Lord, the ways of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things, and give me life in your ways. Confirm your servant your promise. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Thanks. you can be seated. For those of you that were with us at the begin, beginning of 2023, you may recall that Robert preaches a ser, uh, ser, sermon series uh, from Psalm 119. And Robert shared um, that Psalm 119 was written as an acrostic poem, meaning that each section of the psalm begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, and this, uh, this section, verses 33 to 40, all begin with the Hebrew letter H-E, hey, which is a causative verb. And it's basically asking God to do something because the psalmist cannot. So here we see the psalmist is crying out for more because the person doesn't have it within themselves. There's more to life, and let's see how they get there. Uh, Verse 33, teach me, O Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. In verse 33, the, the psalmist is crying out to be taught. Teach me, teach me, O Lord, teach me your ways, teach me about you. But why is it so hard to know God? I mean, we must be like him if we're his, we're his creation, right? Can't I just do more or be better or stop doing that thing that I struggle with? See, I think we often think too highly of ourselves. We put a lot of weight in our opinions and ideas. We think that God would believe what we believe and our ideas of God would become a, would become a bigger, better version of ourselves. But the truth is, he's not like us. He's set apart and he makes it clear in his word. In Isaiah 55, eight and nine, he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, God is not a bigger, better version of us. He's not like us at all. We're broken. We're wanting more. Ultimately, we want him, and he is perfect, and he is complete in himself. So we need a way to him, and the psalmist felt this tension too. Just a few verses earlier in verse 19, the psalmist declares, I'm a sojourner or a stranger on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. This person declares their lostness, and they cry out for God's commandments to show them the way, to show what they Life to show them himself. If you want to know God, read the Bible. Spend time in the morning reading and learning. We can't know the statutes. uh, We we can't keep the statutes to the end if we don't know them. If we don't know the way to go, how can we walk in his ways? The Bible is our map. And if we follow God's map, the trail comes to end in him. Let's move on to verse 34. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. So just a moment ago, we read the psalmist asked to be taught. Here we see the psalmist asked for understanding, to be able to comprehend the scriptures on a deeper level, that penetrates down to the heart because the psalmist has learned the ways of God and they're good. So we move from gaining head knowledge to ask for deep understanding. What's the difference? I'll use an example from my childhood in the 80s. And some of you may remember the beach culture that came through at, the, at that time. There were brands like Maui and Sun. Uh, 17th Street Sur- Surf Shop, Gecko, Billabong, Ocean Pacific. Uh, man, I had clothing with lots of those surf brand- brands on them. However, I'd never been surfing. <laughs> I'd watched movies about surfing. I'd seen magazines. I'd, own vaca- uh, I'd owned clothing. I'd been to vacation at the beach. And I'd been bodyboarding. But I'd not been on a surfboard. See, I had the head knowledge of how to surf, but didn't have the understanding of catching a wave, of popping up and placing my feet on the board while riding that wave in. In understanding, as we look at the Bible, in understanding we've uh, left just knowing about the Bible, to see the Bible come alive in our everyday lives, God, through the scriptures, begins to transform our actions this is the next point on our trail today that understanding we have and we know our gear we've walked a ways and we're starting to figure out our steps we took some missteps and we slipped a lot as we were learning but now we're starting to understand the looks of the trail we see that hidden mud we can identify the rock that looks solid but it's really loose we're getting to know the trail and what we begin to understand is that faith in the Lord is always well-placed. It is never wasted, and it makes our steps more sure. In Matthew, Jesus gives us this parable about a firm foundation. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. See, we not only, uh, we not only have to know or hear God's word, but we also must do or understand them. This is the way to wisdom and the life built on the rock. It's secure because it's founded on a God that's unchangeable and immovable. God revealed through the Bible is our rock, and we can enjoy sure footing. So let's take a look at the second half of this verse here. It says, so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. You see, it can be a big deal to place our trust in something, but we do it often. I place my trust in my steps, in the legs of the chairs that I sit in. I place the tr- my trust in the brakes of my car. I place the, my trust in the relationships of my family. However, it's infinitely greater thing to place the trust of our whole heart in or on one thing. You see, we can only place the trust of our whole heart on one thing. And everything else will be ordered around that one thing. And so the psalmist cries out for that one thing to be the law of God. Because seeing God in his law is what grows our love and confidence in his law. This is the understanding of the psalmist. And we hopefully want to observe God's commands with our whole heart because we see the goodness of God in them. We see his commands as our solid rock. Verse 35, lead me in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. So I'm gonna go back to the 80s here for a second. And the big gaming system at the time was Nintendo. Nintendo was huge. I enjoyed playing it and I was good at some of the games. But sometimes I would get stuck at a level or with a boss that I couldn't get past. And if you couldn't figure it out, there was Nintendo Power Magazine or Hotline. And this magazine and phone number had the answers to your Nintendo problems. You could look up your game and figure out how to get past the difficult part. And if I'm honest, for many years of my Christian life, I viewed the Bible the same way that I viewed Nintendo Power as an extra. I could do a good job on my own, but if I needed a little extra clarification or a little extra spiritual credit, I could pick it up and use it. I did not delight in the scriptures, as the psalmist says here. The Bible did not become a delight until I began to see Jesus in it. Seeing Jesus in the scriptures changes how we view the Bible. It becomes so much more than a book of learning or practical application that we need to figure out. It becomes a book of offering. God offers himself to us through it. God becomes our delight in an increasing measure. We seek him and want more of him. And where do we find him? In the scriptures. So we go back for more. And it is refreshing to our souls. Here the psalmist has been taught... He's gained understanding, and now he wants more. The psalmist is asking to be led. Lead me. And if we delight in our Bibles, it's because we've experienced something like the psalmist. We've encountered God in his word and seen him as a delight, and we want more. So we can cry out too, lead me to more delight. As David said in Psalm 34, 8, oh, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Here we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and we want more. Lead me to my delight. I need more. And this is why Psalm 42 describes the longing for God as a flowing stream. In verses 1 and 2 it says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Oh, That's good. Have you guys ever been thirsty? I have, right? So that backpacking trip that I described earlier, it did not go as as we had planned. And because it didn't go as planned, we didn't make our camps as we planned and we didn't hit our water sources as we planned. And so on the uh, the second day, we'd actually run out of water the first day, um, and I wasn't sure how far away the next water source was. I began to weigh the cost of taking the next step. And I was thirsty and I needed refreshment. Exhausted and dehydrated, I made it to the water spot. And when I finally tasted that cool water, it filled me. It was a delight and it could allow me to go on. Our souls are thirsty and need, to the, and need the delight as a drink from a flowing stream. So we, so we come before him as the deer. The deer needs that nearby water source for frequent small drinks. We can't show up to uh, church on Sunday and think we've gotten our watering for the week. We'll be left parched, panting. And so the Psalms describes our soul. So we need daily delights in the Lord through his scripture. And that's what we need to be truly satisfied. Seeing Jesus in God's word makes it our delight. And it makes us want to go back often and for more. Like a delicious morsel, we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Like a cool, flowing stream, we're satisfied and delight as he quenches the thirst of our soul. Let's move on to the next few verses. I'm going to bundle them together, verses 36 to 38. It says, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. So we've seen the psalmist so far ask for learning, for understanding, and that's led to delight in the Lord. And what's the result? To be changed. It says, turn my heart, incline my heart, persuade me, predispose me. These are all words that can go in there. Um, But the psalmist is crying out, take my selfish ways. They're no good. God, your ways are good. Your ways are good. You are good. And when we see the Lord as good and understand who he is, we want to be changed by him. We can't see him as better and remain the same. And these verses also declare an understanding about us that the psalmist shares. Even though we've gained teaching and understanding and found our delight in, in, our, in the Lord, and we're being changed, our journey's not complete. We're still walking. We're still being tempted by what we want and the ease of life around us. We see the struggle here as the psalmist cries out to have their heart changed from selfish gain to the ways of God. The psalmist is looking at worthless things instead of receiving life. The psalmist didn't even have a smartphone and the struggle was real for this person. I I can identify so easily with the psalmist here. Despite my best intentions, I love my own ways. Why don't we pick up the Bible if we know it to be the Word of God? We think too little of it and too highly of ourselves. We prefer our own ways. We look over and see the comfort of rest. Why exert ourselves if we don't have to? What do we really gain? Most often I think these, uh, these ideas come because we've forgotten. See, often when I'm hiking and the trail gets hard and comfort looks close and I could be satisfied with enjoying my spot in the woods, I realize I've forgotten that payoff. I've looked around me and become satisfied. I've created a camp that's temporary, but I begin to think of it as permanent. I forget the anticipation and thrill of what that mountain view is gonna look like. And we forget. We forget verses like 2 Corinthians 4.18 that say, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. They remind us to look beyond our temporary structures and to keep walking towards our permanent home. This temptation of looking, uh, of looking at worthless things, this is the temptation of looking at worthless things, is that they begin to satisfy. So how do we break that spell? Well, the, t- the psalmist tells us here, refocus your hearts and eyes. We shine a light on that which we want to see better. In the same Psalm, a verse later, God's word describes, is, is described as a lamp and a light. Verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We follow that path that's lit by the word of God to the payoff. That payoff is life both now and in eternity and we need that path lit. We move on to verse 38 to confirm to, uh, it says, confirm to your servant your promise. Confirm here can also be translated as like reassure, fulfill, or establish. But it's speaking to this refocusing that we need to be reminded, to be reassured, to be regrounded in God's promise. Man, can I I tell you the great thing about God's promise? Is that it hasn't changed. It's that solid rock that we can still step firmly on. It's still there. So we, conf- so we ask God, the psalmist is asking, confirm, your, confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. So we know we re- need to be re- refocused, but why would the psalmist say that they need to fear God? What does it mean to fear God? I think a proper fear of God comes from a proper respect and understanding of who God is. See, he's mighty. He's beyond our comprehension. He cannot be measured. His goodness knows no bounds, but neither does his wrath. If we understand God's wrath properly, we ought to fear him. If we understand the beauty of how God has worked out salvation for his church, we ought to fear him because it's so incredible that we can't fully comprehend it. So as we look at these three verses, we're changed because of the awesome, awesomeness of God and the scriptures. We may get distracted or tempted at looking towards worthless things. But then when that happens, we have the scriptures to remind us of the greatness and wonderfulness of God, the God we delight in looking at, a God worthy to be feared. So before I move on with these last two verses, I want to take a second and share another story from my last backpacking trip. Um, I was backpacking along with two friends, one of them sitting right here. Um, and we were uh, backpacking along the AT, and so we're more casual backpackers. We're not the thru-hikers that are trying to do the whole AT in six months. We're going a little bit more slowly and spending a little bit more time at camp. So this evening, we sat back to relax and made a fire um, at, the, at the camp. And shortly after we began to, to relax, we were approached by a couple of thru-hikers that had set up camp nearby. And with them was an older retired woman that had wandered into their camp and was lost. This is when we met Martha. Martha explained that she was from out of town and that she and her boyfriend were hiking a local trail that connected to the, to the AT. The two had gotten separated and Martha had gotten lost So, she decided that she would just begin to follow the white blazes of the Appalachian Trail, hoping that they would lead her somewhere. Martha's boyfriend had a bag with some supplies, but she had nothing. So now, the sun had set, it was dark, and it was getting cool. Martha did not have proper clothing for the night. She did not have a cell phone. She did not have any food. She did not have any water. She was tired from walking the trail. And she was stumbling in the dark down the backside of this mountain trying to see and follow the white blazes on the trees because she didn't have a light. Honestly, I'm amazed that she was able to stay on the trail because it was dark and she'd gotten herself into a dangerous situation. She was embarrassed, but she sat with us at at the fire as she tried to figure out what to do. I tell that story and I think it's easy for us to think Martha is so foolish. I mean, who gets themselves into a situation like that? It's so dangerous and so easily preventable. I mean, she should have known better. But here she was, sitting at the fire, alone and desperate, in need of the essentials. But before we think too little of Martha, I think we need to consider ourselves. See, I think we're a lot more like Martha than we realize. I'd say that many of us are in a much more dangerous situation than we understand. Let's consider this allegorical trail that we've been walking as our life and in our hypothetical situation it's gone all right because we've had the Bible as our support. We've seen in the Bible as our map, as our sure steps, our firm foundation, our food, our water, and our light. All the things that Martha needed and we thought her for thought her ridiculous for traveling into the woods without. But we do the same thing as we go through life without engaging in God's word. We can think it's foolish to pack that additional weight. We, we say we need, these, we need the essentials, but we intentionally leave our Bibles behind. And our situation can be much more dangerous than Martha's. If we be, believe the Bible, then let's consider what it says about us. It says that we were created to be in close, personal relationship with our Creator, that we were to enjoy walking together, that we would hike together and God would provide all our needs. But things changed because we think we know better, because we wanted to be the lead. We wanted to lead the way and we walked away from God. We chose our own way. You're like me as the Bible describes us in Isaiah 53 and that we all, like sheep, have gone astray, and we've turned to our own way. Did you hear that? We've turned, to our, we've turned to our own way. We've wandered off the path that was before us. We walked away from God, and we became lost. We went the way of the brambles, the heavy underbrush, and the thorns. And as we chose our own path, We chose what the Bible calls sin. And the effects of our sin created separation from God. Because God is so holy and perfect, he cannot be around sin. Remember his goodness that we talked about a moment ago? He's so great that we ought to fear him. This greatness cannot exist with our fallenness and with our rebellion. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. The wages are what we earned we've earned our separation from God. When we chose to walk our own path, we earned the death that is our eternal separation from God. Eternal separation from all that's good. So let's go back to Psalm 119 and see what the psalmist has to say. In verse 39, the psalmist says, "'Turn away the reproach that I dread, "'for your rules are good. I think we, like the psalmist, understand this reproach, and we too ought to dread it. Reproach is disapproval or disappointment. It's the opposite of perfection, or being being above reproach, in which no criticism can be made. We earn the reproach because we cannot keep the good, right, perfect rules of God. And this is hard news. This is a hard truth. And honestly, it's one we don't like to think about these days. In fact, our culture likes to tell us the opposite it tells us that we're good enough, that we can do whatever we put our minds to, and we change the standards so that we can be acceptable and we feel good about ourselves. But that's not the truth. We don't reach the standard. We're not perfect. We're not good enough. We are not strong enough. And we are not enough in ourselves. This can be a hard reality, but it's true. So what do we do with this? Let's see where the psalmist goes next. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Verse 40. The psalmist turns that dreadful reality of sinful separation into a longing. This person has accepted their reproach, and as we can accept the reality of our sin, but the psalmist doesn't want to stay there. It says, turn away the reproach. Man, they long for something else. The cry to turn away the has become a desire for the good law of God and for God himself. but what can be done remember that our fallenness cannot be with our fallenness cannot be with God's holiness our sin cannot be with God's perfection we are a reproach and he is above reproach we cannot get back on track the trail is lost and there's nothing we can do thankfully the psalmist is not done The cry of his or her heart is not over. The psalmist cries out, in your righteousness, give me life. And God answers that cry. He made a way. He gives us the tools in his word to show us the way. God's response to our cry cry is found in the Bible. The Bible is our map, our sure step, our food, our water, our light, all point to Jesus. The Bible, every page, is about Jesus. So it's no, it's no wonder that this is where the psalmist leads us also, to Jesus. Our sin has separated us from eternity, but Jesus has come. The psalmist, the psalmist cried out for God's righteousness, and God responded with Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me read that again. God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness righteousness of God. As the psalmist desired, and we cry out, we'll receive life because of Jesus' righteousness. Man, this is amazing. Jesus takes our rebellion to the cross. He dies with it. He rises three days later, and He gives us His righteousness. This trade is completely unfair, and it's exactly what we need. We can't earn what Jesus has done, but we do need to accept it. In faith, this must be our one thing the one thing that we place the whole trust of our hearts on, the one thing that we order our lives around. Jesus must be our essentials. Friends, I'd like to finish finish out our allegorical hike with this. That left to ourselves, we're lost in the woods. We're alone and we can't find our way to God. We are a lost and needy people that like to wander. And we've wandered too far. We've been off the trail for so long that we've gotten used to the heavy underbrush. We don't realize how far we've wandered and we've become numb to the brambles. We look at our temporary shelter and take pride in what we've made for ourselves, even though it's a weak and low structure. We look look at our spot in the woods and say, this is enough, I can be satisfied here. But deep down, At the end of the day, we know we're not satisfied. We know our own righteousness is not enough. And we we can't justify ourselves because we were made for more. We can't satisfy ourselves because we were made for more. We were made to be with Jesus. The Bible is essential because it reflects a Jesus who is essential. We need to stop following our own trail and follow Jesus. We can't follow both. Jesus is our map. John 14:6. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. When we follow Jesus, our steps become sure because they're on the solid rock. Jesus is our firm foundation. 1 Corinthians 3:11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We will be satisfied because Jesus will be our sustenance. John 6.35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Our trail, it will be bright, and our joy will be found in Jesus because Jesus is our light and our delight. John 8, 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And thankfully, yes, Jesus is our righteousness that has forgiven our sins and set us free. Let's look back to that verse we talked about earlier, Romans six twenty three. It says, for the wages of sin is, sin is death, but it continues on. Because the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And as some of us read this week in Luke 1, uh, salvation was described as God's people receiving the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. To give light to those who sit in the darkness, in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. That's the path our hearts should cry to follow. Peace with God for eternity. Folks, I hope that today we've seen the Bible and God revealed through the Bible as our necessary essentials. I think many of us feel that adding the Bible to our packs or adding one more thing to our lives would make it heavier. I hope we now see that adding the Bible actually lightens our load. It'll replace much of what we've been trying to fill ourselves with. And it leads to peace with God. If you're here today and you know the salvation of Jesus personally, we're gonna invite you in a minute to come up and make that declaration as you partake of the elements. And in taking these elements, some bread and juice that represent Jesus' body and blood We will declare that Jesus is our sustenance, and that we we have received His sacrifice. We've received His sacrifice so that we will receive His righteousness to have peace with God. If you're here today and you don't know the salvation of Jesus personally, we're going. uh, I ask that you remain seated and consider what you've heard. I ask that you consider the end of Martha's journey. It ended well for her. She stopped following the white blazes that would lead her to danger. She found the people that had what she needed. She received rest, food, water, and even a headlamp. She was led along the right trail and she was connected with the one she started with. She met people that had the essentials that she needed. You're among some people that can point you to what you need, the essentials in Jesus. Consider life in him, life to the full. Consider talking to your friend that invited you or to one of the pastors here about what that looks like. And for all of us, my hope is that this year we will grow to engage with our, our Bibles because we see in it, and because we see as the psalmist sees here, that we need to be taught, that we need that understanding, that we need Jesus as our delight, that we need to be changed, that we need to be reminded of who we are, who we are in our own sin, and what Jesus has done for us, that we have received his righteousness, and we need that as the deer pants for the water daily. Let's take a few moments to reflect here as we prepare for communion. You've been listening to a message by Dan Leary given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org.